this morning we're reading from Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Where would we be without this word? Where would your life be without this word from the Lord? His revelation to us, his gift to us, his self-revealing to us through his word. Where would we be? Bethany Church is a church that believes that God continues to speak in his word and that when we open God's word, he speaks. That's why we do it each week. That's why we go through a text each week and talk about it. That's why we do the task of and sometimes even tedious task of reading long passages and listening when there's lots of hard names to uh, pronounce, especially in Genesis. Or when we read those, those genealogies, what were we doing? What were we thinking, right? Some people might think that. It's all the word of the Lord from start to finish. And we honor that here because it's where he reveals himself to us. I'm really excited to get in the life of Abraham. Fantastic story with all kinds of things taking place in it. Things that are going to shock you even. As we get into Genesis, it's one of the, uh, uh, in many ways, uh, graphic and, and shocking books in all the Bible. But I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Well, how do, as we begin today, how do great movies and stories and TV shows work? How, how do they work? There's kind of a formula to them. Everyone knows things have to in good stories and movies get really bad before they get what? Really good. There's this introduction of heroes in a story the characters, and we're, we're drawn to them in the story, and we begin to, to, to root for them and get connection with them so that when there's an increase and in rise in action and some sort of conflict, we care. And then a climax happens in the story and a fall and catastrophe. It's kind of like an, a, a big arc in a story. And then there's this, at the end, heroic resolution, the ending, the conclusion, we call it. Things tend to get really bad in stories before they get good. What's that phrase, the darkest hour comes just before the dawn? 
And as we look at the real life history of Genesis, real life history, and today enter into the life of Abraham, the father of faith, we shouldn't be surprised to see that the Bible imitates life, like art imitates life, maybe, these rise and falls and stories. That the Bible imitates life because it is life. This is Abram's life. Where we left off in chapter 11, you remember, it's kind of like the darkest hour before the dawn. Remember, God had this great plan from the garden that seeks to be uh, derailed by uh, Adam and Eve. He promises his great plan to come then after that from the, the line of the woman, the seed of this woman, one who would come from this line to crush the serpent. The snake crusher would come. And yet the stories in Genesis 1 through 11 after that continue to go from one failure to another. And humanity from one generation, from the generations of Noah to Shem, humanity, humanity comes to a place when we get to the end of chapter 11, humanity seems to have played itself out, just played itself out as they culminate at Babel. You remember? Then they said, Genesis 11, 4, come, let us build a city for or build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, that lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Where humanity's role as image bearers was to point to God, shine a light on him, make his name great. Here in a, in a Tower of Babel, the project of God and the story of humanity seems at a dead end. The darkest hours, they say, we are great. Let us make our name great. Let us build for ourselves. Let us consolidate power here at this tower. But isn't it just like our God? When things seem most dark and hopeless, at the great crisis and tragic fall at the Tower of Babel, where he scatters people through a confused language, isn't it just like our God that he begins afresh with a new call to fashion a new people, to bring the greatest blessing the world has ever known. Humanity seems at a dead end, played out. And God comes through with his greatest act of grace and mercy. This Sunday, we examine the call of Abram and his bold response in our message entitled Call and Response by looking at three elements of Abram's faith today. So hopefully you've got your outline with you and you've got a worship folder on the way in. If you didn't, if you raise your hand, maybe, uh, maybe David, if he sees you over there, he'll bring you one if you didn't get one. Um, but get your outline open and, and turn to Genesis chapter 12 in your scripture, as we'll be referencing a few of the verses this morning. As we look at our first of three elements of faith, here's the first one in your outline. God calls Abram to forsake what he knows for the unknown. God calls Abram to forsake what he knows, what he's familiar with, for the unknown. Excavations of Ur, which was Abram's city, which is in modern-day Iraq, is where Abram was from, that were found, those excavations in the 1920s and 30s, a really famous excavation. What they found there painted a really dark picture of a pagan world and something they called the death pit. That sounds very Indiana Jones or something. Um, <laughs> it was a world of human sacrifice they found. The lives of the inhabitants of Ur during Abram's life would have been dominated by this oppressive religion <clears throat> to this moon god named Nana, I think is how you say it. Not your grandma, but a moon god. There was no knowledge of Yahweh. 
This was a desolate spiritual wasteland situated really only a couple hundred miles from Babylon, where that tower was that we, in chapter 11. This is Abram's homeland, Ur of the Chaldeans, where Terah, his father, and their kindred lived. So it was into this dark setting, pagan oppressive setting, human sacrifice, that God spoke. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go, and your kindred and your father's house to the land, I will show you. There's a new beginning, the true new hope. God's blessing would come down on people. There was an invitation from God, a call out from God, an invitation being made to this pagan, probably Abram. Now think about this. Abram's not seeking God out. Abram's probably a pagan himself. There is nothing in Abram at this moment commending himself to God. If, if he's anything like those he lived amongst, which we know from in the book of Joshua, it says his father and relatives, they were pagan. Nothing commending him to God. This is grace. God sought out Abraham. God has elected Abraham, not arbitrarily, but Abram wasn't seeking God. And he's given Abram this imperative, go, go, get out. Get going, really, is what he says there. It's an incredible ask. He asks him to forsake the familiar, the familiar life, all he knows for the unknown. What an agonizing decision, if you think about this man and his family and their life and their history and their roots in, in, the, in their land. Leave your land, leave your kindred, leave your father's house. A and to make it more difficult, when God says, get out and go, he doesn't tell him where he's going, too. Just go, and I'll show you the place. Abram was asked to blindly trust in the word of God. Take him at his word. I love what uh, Calvin commented on this passage. He said this about it. He said, it's like God is saying to him, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you. Until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. Let's put into our perspective what kind of what's happening here. Think about when you plan a vacation. You plan where you're going to go on some great trip. You've saved up money. You've, you've taken time off work. The kids are off school. You're, you're ready to go. Now, most of us plan our vacation with a destination in mind, don't we? Most of us do that. We know where we're going. We know how we're going to get there. We've booked hotel rooms along the way. How many of you for vacation just walk out the front door and say to your family, you know, I've got no idea where we're going. We're going to see where the wind takes us. How excited would your family be? Really? My, my kids are like, really, Dad? No, you plan it out. And some of you, even along the way, to make the most use of your time, even plan the little stops along the way, all the sights you're going to see to get when you get from point A to point B. Who does that? Some of you I know do. My wife does. She raised her hand. Thank you. <laughs> and for those of you who are saying, I love just walking out the front door and just doing that, it doesn't count if you have an RV or trailer. It doesn't count. Abram was asked to walk out the front door with a suitcase and his family, except he wasn't coming back from vacation, from this trip. And he didn't know where he was going. 
and there probably wouldn't be hotels along the way, he was uprooting his entire family from the familiar established life to go to the unknown. Think about that choice. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Hebrews reaffirms that for us, that Abraham, Abraham had no idea. My kids like to play this game on the trampoline where one person closes their eyes and the others run around trying to find the other kids. Our neighbor kids like to play it too. I wouldn't advise it for adults. I have tried it on a couple occasions, and it's terrifying walking around blindly feeling for where you're going. And I have, a, a t a, you know, nets around the trampoline. We didn't used to have that when I was a kid. Abram's walking out blind. Except he has the word of promise. In some ways, the call of Abraham is like the gospel call to us. Jesus calls us in the gospels to forsake all. Step out and follow him. Take him at his word. Trust him at his word. He even says in the gospels, if necessary, leave family behind if they want to keep you from me. He asks us even to step out and maybe even lose our life to follow him. It's kind of like the gospel call. Jesus doesn't give you and I either the roadmap to our life, does he? There's not this uh, promise that, you know, follow him and everything smooths out. No, in some ways when you choose to follow Jesus as a disciple, your life gets harder. But we know the destination. Abram really didn't even have that. We know the result. Why? Because Jesus has already gone the path for us. It's the resurrection of our bodies to the ultimate promised land. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what the, the way he paved. It's the resurrection of your body and then the future life in the ultimate promised land. We know so much more than Abram did. Do you think about that? We're asked to obey knowing so much more than Abram had living in this post-resurrection world that we get to live in. What a blessing. What a blessing. We may not know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow to us, to our God, uh, or to our, excuse me, from us to our, to our nation, but God does. But we know our final destination. We don't know tomorrow. We know our final destination. Now, God, in his great grace, did give Abram great promises. He asked him to leave. He didn't know where he was going, but he had great promises of God's word of blessing. That's our subpoint there, with the promise of blessing. But the promise of blessing. If Abram would obey and go, blessings would come. And, and look down at the language of, of, of verses 2 and 3 there. I will show, I will make, I will bless. God will do this. God's got much more active role in this, and yet he's called to obey. There will not only be the, the, the gift of a new land, but very immediate blessings if Abram chooses to go and obey. Upon this man's life, he'll become a great nation, God says. A, a, a political reality there of a true nation. And he'll give him a great name. The very thing, think about this now, that humanity sought at the Tower of Babel. What was it? To make a name for themselves, 
can only come if God does it for us. Which he promises Abram. I can give you a great name. Don't think you can do that. I will give you a great name, Abram, if you'll go. If you'll go. He will make Abram's name great so that, why? So that he can be a blessing to others. And in fact, later in the passage, he goes on to say, you go out, I will protect you. You might not know where you're going, but I'll protect you. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who don't bless you, I will curse. I'll remove from them that blessing. See, here's what Abraham was called to do. He was called to go out to be a blessing. He was not allowed to let the blessing of God terminate with him. To end there, terminate, stop. He was blessed, maybe you've heard the phrase, he was blessed to be a blessing. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. He was to be a, a conduit through which blessing would flow rather than a termination point. A conduit through which it flows. He was to, to, to share the knowledge of God wherever he went. Ask yourself the question for a moment, this question. If you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ, his word and you know it and the blessing of knowing him, has it terminated with you? Are you an ending stop point for that blessing? Are you, are you a termination point for God's blessing? Or are you a conduit through which it flows like Abraham was called to be? We too have the promise of blessings to, to pass on, to see flow through us. And, and what a blessing Abram would pass on. Jesus or God said here, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. He never lived to see it. But all the nations of the earth will be blessed through this man. And we know that from the New Testament, that is through Christ. From Abram's line, the seed, the snake crusher would come. Which means there's no other way in this world to be truly blessed apart from Abram's blessing. Right here. Right this one we're hearing today. There's no other way in this world to be truly blessed. And I say it to you those watching online at home as well. No other way to be truly blessed apart from Abram's blessing. Do me a favor real quick. Hold on to Genesis 12. Turn to Galatians 3. I want, us to see a, I want you to see a couple of verses with your own eyes today. In Galatians 3. They'd be up on the screen if we were in the sanctuary. But let's turn to Galatians 3, verse 8 and 9 to see the same point in the New Testament, that the blessing of Abraham is for all. Paul wrote in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 8 and 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's probably you and I, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, here's the promise, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you see this here? Our gospel, your gospel was preached to a pagan in a pagan culture of death to pass it on. Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. 
And those who trust it by faith become sons and daughters of Abram. And so that then too is your responsibility. That is my responsibility, our responsibility to not be a termination point, but a conduit for God's work in this world. We might be, it might seem right now like the darkest hour before the dawn. And we do live in our own spiritual wasteland, our own Babylon today. And how do we know? Maybe God is getting ready to bring a great revival to our nation, to our land. He may be, he might not, but he might be. He promises he will continue to work and his word won't return void. And he wants to use us as conduits rather than termination points. Okay, Abram, here we go. Believe it. Get out. You don't know where you're going to go. I will show you. Get out there and be a blessing. And he does. Let's look at our second element of faith. True faith, point two there, believes God at his word and responds in active obedience. Look at verse four with me there. True faith believes God at his word and responds in active obedience. Verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Lot's his nephew. So Abram goes out. He does it. He goes out from Ur to a land he does not know, and along the way he stops in Haran, a kind of homeland place for them where his father dies. We don't know how long he was there. That's sort of irrelevant to the story. But he leaves Haran and goes on and continues to this unknown land. The point of these verses, it's emphasized with really strong language, Abram went. God said, go, Abram went. The point is this, Abram obeyed. That hard task to go out blind, he obeyed. Abram was given the word of God. He couldn't see it come to fruition, and in fact, he wouldn't in his lifetime. He listened to it, he pondered it in his heart, and he responded in faith. This is one of the greatest examples of faith in all the Bible. And this is truly, actually, the definition of faith we see here in Abram's life. It's not just mental assent. It's not just believing something is true. We know the Bible speaks that even the demons do that. A person with true faith, here's a fuller definition places the weight of their life on these promises. And what could be weightier than Abram here uprooting your entire family to go to some strange land? Faith isn't just saying you believe. It's knowing it's so deep inside your bones that the promises are true that you're willing to act on it. That's faith. And that's how you become a conduit rather than a termination point. You actually act on the things God promises. We, we know and say here, we are justified by faith alone. The Bible clearly says that. But it's never a faith that is alone. Never. It's a faith that's faithful, which means we act and live according to it. It's taking God at his word like Abram does here. 
I, I think about my own life, and I, maybe you're like this, but sometimes I so often look for kind of secondary reasons to obey God. Do you do that? Kind of secondary, well, okay, yes, God, I know you what your word says, but is this what you really want for me? Could you just you know, give me a sign, an impression? Let me point my finger at a verse in the Bible. Bring somebody to say something in my ear today. Or are you sure, God, you want me to give this up? This thing? You know what we see Abraham doing? In faith, he held things lightly. He held things lightly. And he let much of it go to obey and follow God. And that's why knowing the word of God is so important. And, make, and letting it be the dominant influence in your life. If the promises aren't at hand or at heart, how do we ever expect to act in faith? How do we expect to know what God requires of us and, and what to believe and act upon if we don't know where his promises, what they are? True faith like Abram's that we get to see here today believes God at his bare word and responds in active obedience. That's what we get here. It's our second element that stands out so starkly in Abram's life. So let's look at our third and final one this morning. As Abram did, we live the life of worship as we sojourn through this world. We live the life of worship. It's our third element of faith. We live it as we sojourn through this world. So Abram leaves Haran. Look at verse 5 if you got it open with me. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they'd gathered, and the people, pay attention to that, that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. You know what's interesting? We already see here an incredible piece of information about Abram's life of faith, his life of worship. In verse 5 here, Abram leaves Haran, and you heard it in the text there, with Sarai, his wife, Lot, his nephew, their possessions, and the people they gathered. What people did they gather after they left Ur and did a pit stop in Haran before they went on to Canaan, the promised land? Now, you might think of the ancient world, and I think, well, maybe slaves or something like that if you're thinking of the ancient world, but I don't think that's what it was. And actually, most commentators I read this week don't either. What they think happened here is that Abram, when he was in Haran on this pit stop, began to gather proselytes, converts, actually. He's already speaking out his faith and, and living it out so that others are being drawn into this new community. And now they join this small community. Wait, wait, wait. So more people got up and got out? and went with this man and left behind the familiar for the unknown? That's what we seem to be seeing in this text. They gathered people. doesn't use the word for slaves. It's people that they gathered. Abram is a sojourner. He's, he's detached from his wor- world, even as he lives his faith in the world, in the real world. On some level, he holds it loosely. On another level, he's living very faithfully in his daily life. This is his worship. His entire posture, life, and actions are worship. 
not just singing, not just church, church attendance, but everywhere he went, he goes to Haran, he's gathering worshipers. He gives up and he goes. It's worship. And it, again, in Abram's life, we see a picture of the Christian life of faith for us. The whole life of worship. We too are pilgrims. You too are a sojourner. You're a traveler. You're not to hold this world too tightly or, or the power structures of this world and the stuff of this world. It doesn't mean you don't live a real life in the here and now. We're not indifferent or detached in that way. But in the ultimate sense of what we value, we hold the things of this world lighter than we hold to the promises of God. Abram was so fixed <clears throat> with his eyes on God's future for him that it allowed him to live like a traveler, live like a pilgrim, live like a sojourner in his daily life. And that's what I hope for you and I. That's what the life of a Christian disciple is. Hebrews again says about Abram in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, Listen to these words. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. How much more sojourning can you get than that? Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, <clears throat> heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What are you too fixated on, holding on too tightly to, that might be keeping you from living a life of faithful worship? Think about that for a minute. Holding things loosely or being okay and being able to be okay with change. This comes from a pilgrim mentality, a sojourner mentality. But we aren't taught this from very early on in our life. We're just not. We're taught, get everything you can, as early as you can, hold on to it as tightly as you can with a death grip for security and comfort and protected at all costs. It's just how we're taught to live. And how do you know when you're holding on to something too tightly? How do you know? Because when you lose it, you don't just experience the ordinary grief of losing something. Your entire life comes undone. That's how you know when you're holding something too tightly. Oh, another, it's another way to tell. You become a termination of blessing and not a conduit. We talked about it in the beginning. Your life is claustrophobic. There aren't many opportunities of hospitality or giving or service or, or sacrifice. That's how you might know you're holding onto things too tightly. Or how about sharing the gospel? The greatest blessing were to let be a conduit rather than a termination. You know, one of the main reasons we don't speak of Jesus more is because we're holding too tightly onto one thing. And you know what that is? Our reputation. What will they think of me? Hold on to it. Will it offend? Hold on to it. I don't want to be too pushy. Hold on to it. And so I end up, what do I end up doing? Saving face by keeping my mouth shut. And when we do this and live this way, you know how we're living? We're living like this, the practical, 
practical idiom of the world. Hey, you only go around once in this life. Or hey, this is the only life we have. But you know what? That's not true. That's not a true mantra of our world. It's just not true. You don't only just go around once. This isn't the only life we have. Eternity's in front of us. You know, we see this, and I've been talking this way a few lately because it's the elephant in the room. We see this in our political discourse right now. <clears throat> Both sides are holding on to so tightly. One to the reins of power, and one to the opportunity to grasp power. Both sides have got a death grip on this thing. So tightly that we see our candidates and other political figures and even the general population doing and saying things that we would think totally unthinkable just five or ten years ago. You know it. Totally unthinkable five years ago, ten years ago. You couldn't get away with it even. If this is the only city you're looking to, this one right here, then yeah, of course, this is how you're going to respond. Panic, raw emotion, aggression, hubris, pride, vengeance, my way, my rights, my reputation. Of course, if this is your only city. But like Abram, let's also too set our minds on other things. As Colossians says, listen, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and you are hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, think about it. What do you have to lose when you've been raised with Christ and your life is hidden with him? Nothing. You've got nothing to lose. You already have everything in him. So Abram goes on, he sojourns, he obeys, he worships, even in the face, it's our sub-point of opposition. Even in the face of opposition. The text wraps up telling us he enters the land of Canaan that will become his. And he travels it from end to end as if it was already his setting up altars. And he faces opposition. Think about it. Not only is Sarai barren, how's the nation going to come from that? Not only is he older at 75 years, but there's someone in the land already. (laughs) They're going to show up in Genesis a lot. The Canaanites. It's already possessed. We get right away there. There's going to be some opposition to Abram's obedience. And he goes, but he doesn't set out to build a tower for himself. He doesn't go out to build a big city for his name, like some of his ancestors did. What does he do? He sets up an altar smack dab in the middle of this other culture, the Canaanites. It's almost like staking a claim for Yahweh. He said, this will be our land. Let's worship here. And when he does... When he obeys blindly, so to speak, not knowing where he's going, when he gets to that land, he gets to see what or who? God. God appears. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, he appeared to him now, 
To your offspring I'll give this land. So there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He sees God, verse 8 says, or excuse me, verse 7 says, and verse 8 says, he begins to call upon the name of the Lord. God says, I'll make your name great. And Abram says, no, let me preach your name. He begins to call on the name of the Lord. It's our final sub-point. We preach the name. We preach the name much like Abram did. Martin Luther actually translated this verse here, the call in the name of the Lord. He, he translated actually as he preached the name to let the reader know that this was public, what Abram did. At this point, Abram's not just by himself. He has an entourage of people and those that he gathered in Haran, remember? And now at this altar, he publicly begins to preach the name, to call on the name of Yahweh. And this is our calling too as we wrap up his life now here at this point, to forsake the known for the, uh, the, the unknown, to trust God at his bare word, to live faithful obedience as sojourners, even in the face of opposition, as we speak Jesus' name. That's the summary of what we just went through right there. But how is that possible? You got it. The table tells us. The Lord's Supper tells us this. Who was the one? Who was the one truly called to leave the known for the unknown? To go out into a spiritual wasteland. To live as a sojourner forsaking all but the name of God. Who was the true one who would go out to put together a new people, a new nation, to respond in obedience to a new call and get them ready for a new land? Who answered that call? Jesus. Jesus. When you see Abraham's life pointing you to what Jesus did for you on a much more eternal cosmic scale than Abram ever did, how can we not, out of worship, on our small scale, live that life of worship for him. Jesus took that call, came to our spiritual wasteland, and is getting the people ready for a new promised land we will never, could never imagine. Let's take a couple minutes as the worship team gets ready. Think about Jesus in that terms. How does Abraham point us to Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill and even do what Abraham did, but on a greater scale? And then remember that it was personally for you as we hold this cup and this bread. Take a minute or two as the worship band will play a song. Prepare your heart. Come before him, even maybe even today, and confess those sins of lack of obedience, of lack of stepping out, of holding things too tightly in your life, that he wants you to maybe let go in obedience. And we'll take together in just a moment.